I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. I'll tell you what, the implications of our faith are getting uh, really well exercised these days in the public square. If you've been around Facebook at all, uh, you know a couple of things. One, you know that I am quite opinionated. (laughs) Uh, It's true. Uh, You also know that there are a diversity of opinions that are out there flying around all about how our faith impacts the way that we vote. It doesn't take long. You just go to a a Catholic website, really any website, but specifically, you go to a Catholic blog, uh, some blogger, some priest, some uh, media personality, whomever, they're going to have an opinion about how your faith impacts your daily life, and specifically about how uh, you should vote. Now, uh, for the most part, I get to say whatever I want on this show because it's my show, and uh, and the Breadbox Media Network gives me absolutely no restrictions whatsoever, so I can say what I want. However, I do have I do have a couple of stations out there that are nonprofit, uh, and so I'm not going to to jeopardize their tax status with my own opinions. If you want to know what my opinions are on this matter, oh oh dear friend, all you have to do is go over to my Facebook page. Uh, You go over to OutsideTheWalls.com slash, no, OutsideTheWalls.com, and then you'll find all the social media there. Uh, You can get some of it on my blog. You can get some of it on uh, the, because I've got a a Facebook page for the blog, the Pathios Blog of Belief Observed, uh, which is just uh, Facebook.com slash Timothy Putnam, my name. That'll take you to the blog, uh, Facebook. But really, I'm not doing a whole lot either on the blog or on um, on my radio show on the Outside the Walls Facebook page. No, all of the good stuff, all of the uh, absolute pull your hair out, I can't believe he just said that stuff. All of that is over on my personal Facebook page, and I invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, you can find that by going to facebook.com slash Timothy L as in uh, the letter before M, right? Uh, Timothy L. Putnam. And um, yeah, all of that will be available for your uh, for your blood pressure's um, enjoyment. I don't know. So yeah, uh, I tell you, this, this election cycle is a really tough one. It is a tough one. Uh, and, and anyone who tells you that the choice is clear is either overlooking something too massive to be really overlooked, uh, or they're lying to you. It's not a clear choice. It's a very difficult choice that requires a person to really spend some time in prayer, uh, to spend some time listening to the Holy Spirit rather than all of the various blog voices that are out there, and, and spending time forming your conscience. Luckily, if you're looking for resources on how to form your conscience, you can do this a couple of ways. One, uh, you go to my archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You go through about a month and a half ago, end of August, we talked with Sam Rocha uh, about forming your conscience, specifically related to some documents by um, Cardinal John Henry Newman, Blessed John Henry Newman, and uh, Pope Benedict the, the 16th. Uh, and so that's a great, it was a great episode. Uh, I, I have, it's, I've got a few episodes that I have a special link to that I 
have specialized in Bitly to shorten the link down so I can share it on Facebook. And that's one of them that I've shared several times. Uh, and there are a couple, not only is there that, that archive episode, there's also some extra special uh, linky goodness to my blog if you go to that website. So outsidethewalls.com, go to the archives, end of August, how to form your conscience, dear friend. Not only this, but the bishops of the United States have given us an excellent document. This document is called um, Forming a Conscience for Faithful Citizenship. You can get it on the USCCB website. Now, here's the thing. There are a lot of people out there who have taken this document, uh, Forming Our Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, and they have tried to make a, a dummy's guide to Forming Your Conscience for Faithful Citizenship. And uh, generally, in, in order to do that, they cover over some very important nuance. I mean, seriously, just uh, the whole idea of there being five non-negotiables, uh, that, that was propagated by a media institution that was attempting, uh, and I, they, I don't think they were in, in any way trying to be uh, manipulative, but they were attempting to make a shortened version for the people who won't read what the bishops have to say. Um, and they left a lot out. It is true that there are some things in our faith that are non-negotiable, but they're not quite as easy to pin down as these five things. Uh, really, there are a number of things. The implications of our faith really are non-negotiable. Uh, and so for me, this has proved to be a very difficult election cycle. Um, I've, I've been interested by some of the third-party folks out there. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm telling you a little bit about my process here. Uh, I look to history. I look to the history of the founding of the Republican Party uh, and how that came about. Um, you had a, an anti-slavery party that that rose up and got nowhere, no traction, none whatsoever. Um, and, and they lost two major elections. So we're talking over a, a long span here. Uh, and then that party crumbled. And another party rose up in its place from both that party, the Free Soil Party, and the, uh, the Whig Party. Because people were so fed up with that two-party system. Uh, and so out of that party came the Republican Party, which failed yet another major election before Abraham Lincoln was finally elected on the fourth try of getting an anti-slavery plank uh, party into the running. Now, um, I don't know if it's quite that easy anymore with the, I mean, these political parties are set out to preserve themselves all the way from the way that they uh, create the, the primary system, all different kind of things. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm telling you this is history. And, and history is, I think, beginning to repeat itself, where people are so fed up, and this is just a, a question of the polls. You look at the polls, people are so fed up with the powers that be. Uh, these two main candidates from these two main parties have the lowest approval rating, and they're not even elected yet, right? We're already starting off with a really bad uh, engagement politically. And so really our, our season, our... Uh, period of life is ripe for a repeat of history to say, okay, what are the issues that really are important to you? Rather than voting for the lesser of two evils, and you, you can still do that if you find that, that you really do need to uh, prevent some grave evil, but I see evil on both sides here. Uh, and so really, I think that for me, I've come to a place where I'm looking at this going, is it time for us to look not at this immediate 
uh, catastrophe, which is going to be a catastrophe regardless of which way it goes. Is it perhaps time for, uh, for us to start playing the long game? Just like those, those people who initially said, you know what, anti-slavery is, is our platform, and so we're going to create this free soil party. And it didn't, go, it didn't go anywhere, but it took courage and it took momentum for there ever to be change. And I do wonder if there will ever be change for us today uh, if we don't begin to take some courageous steps and look at the long game. That's all I'm going to say. You can find the rest of that over on Facebook. There is plenty plenty there. But I do want to talk a little bit more about politics. And we're going to talk about democracy and about kingdoms. Uh, as this last week and a half has just been absolutely, all the October surprises are blowing up everywhere. Did you see what Hillary said? Did you see what Trump said? Did you see what Hillary's people said? Did you see what Trump's people said? And it's just, it can be a little bit overwhelming. And I'm, I recall a time when I was uh, younger in living in the evangelical world, that my my mother received mail from this organization called Concerned Women for America. And my mother was a concerned woman, and she was for America, so she was kind of their target audience. And I think that one time she made the mistake of hearing the good work that they were doing and seeing how important it was and actually sending a check. I think that that happened once. But when she did, all of the sudden, she began to receive mail regularly, regularly, because there was always another crisis just around the corner that if you don't donate your $10, dollars $15, $30, $100, uh, then we won't have enough money to fight this cause and the world will crumble and all will be destroyed. And does this sound familiar? I mean, this was 25, 30 years ago, right? We still have a new crisis every week. And if you don't send in the right amount of money, if you don't vote the right way, if you don't uh, support your candidate on Facebook, the lesser evil, all of a sudden you're going to be handing it to the other candidate and the world is going to dissolve into, into flames. And I want to tell you, dear friend, that this is not the case. Christ is on his throne. Uh, the church has survived dictators. The church has survived um, people not only who uh, wanted to control their subjects, not their their citizens, but wanted to eradicate the church. Right? Uh, the church exists in China. The church exists all over the world in a way that no government machinations are going to change that. So be at peace and remember that we serve a king. Yes, we have a responsibility. Yes, we should exercise that well. Yes, we should form our consciences, but be at peace because there is no crisis so great that we will not be preserved. There is no crisis so great that we cannot follow Christ and follow our consciences to do what we are being led by the Spirit to do, not threatened into, not frightened into, but really what we're being led into. Got a great conversation coming up with Father Edwin Leahy just after the break. Go over to facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. Tell me where you find your peace this election cycle. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Thanks for sticking through the break. Well, we're, we're coming to you from the Catalyst Conference down in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and I have the great privilege of sitting here with Father Edwin Leahy. Uh, he is a Benedictine and is currently the, the headmaster of St. Benedict Prep in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, and you have been now for 40, about 44 years. 44 years, correct. Now, you started out, uh, let's go all the way back to the beginning. You came into this, uh, this Benedictine order. You had, uh, you had graduated yourself from St. Benedict Prep. I did. And discerned a vocation. Tell me a little bit about when you first came in, kind of what you were expecting, because I, I'm going to guess that you weren't expecting where you've ended up. No, no, there's no, absolutely no way I could have expected that. I, I, uh, I graduated from a parochial elementary school. My father wanted me to be educated in a single-sex school. He had heard of St. Benedict's when he was a kid from some guys, his contemporaries going to school there. And I didn't get in. I I wasn't accepted when I applied. (laughs) And uh, the pastor of my church, at my father's request, wrote a letter. I I, I got in, and uh, the joke is now that some of the people that rejected me wound up working for me. But uh, (laughs) um, uh, And I was... I, I had been around priests um, because my house was a block away from the parish mm-hmm. church. So whenever they needed anything at the church, my parents would say, go down and help. And then on Saturday nights, um, lots of times the priest would come up to the house. And mm-hmm. so I was around priests all the time, and I had this desire uh, to do it. In fact, people, kids ask me all the time, well, how, long did, uh, how, how did you come to know you wanted to be a priest? I don't remember wanting to be anything else. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea about a monk. And when I came to the school as a 13-year-old, I, can t- I could take you right now to the spot I was standing. I, I had this realization that I was home. Hmm. Uh, and I have no idea why other than to say that it was the Holy Spirit. I didn't realize it then, but I look back on it now and said the Holy Spirit somehow was, was working. And I felt at home. And I said, this is where I belonged. And then I tried to, I tried to uh, avoid it like Jonah, I ran the other way, uh, was going out with the same girl for about three years, and, uh, but I couldn't avoid it, so I wound up uh, giving in and doing it. And, uh, but I had no idea then, although I loved the place, I had no idea that I'd be doing what I'm, what I'm doing now. And it didn't take long. You, you were on about <laughs> 10 years. And, uh, of course, in New York in 1967, there were the, the racial riots that, that occurred. Uh, and that had a profound impact on St. Benedict Prep and, and its, its mission at the time. Tell us a little bit about that progr- yeah. process from 1967 to 1972. So I, was, I entered the monastery in 1965. I was not in Newark during the riots. I was professed, uh, simply professed in 1966. Um, and uh, I was in a monastery that belonged for about 20 miles west of Newark that we had founded from Newark, and at that time it was still one community. Uh, in 68, the houses were separated by, by, uh, with permission from Rome. Mm-hmm. We become independent. I moved to Newark. So I, I came to Newark in 68 when the riots happened in 67. Uh, but that those those uprisings, riots, revolution, rebellions, called different things by history, mm-hmm. that began this slide, so to speak, uh, in uh, some in numbers of kids. Uh, and the country, uh, the country was boiling at that time with Vietnam, with the awakening of the African American community, mm-hmm. with with university students in the United States being killed by the U.S. military, right in Kent State. Uh, so right. it was all kinds of things going on, and. Um, 
race, America's original sin, race was a huge, mm -hmm. huge issue. And uh, the school winds up closing in 1972. So I'm now professed six years living in Newark. And uh, the, the school closes. And the reason given for the school closing was that it was uh, the declining numbers and finances, uh, which in part was true. But I thought it was a, it, I thought it was a huge injustice to the African-American community because uh, it was easy for people to say, well, you see, there's another great institution that, uh, that goes down the drain because of them. Right, right. Um, and uh, I was... When I got the opportunity to, uh, to try to write that with a bunch of my brothers in the monastery, we thought we needed to do it. So that's kind of what motivated us to. We're talking today with Father Edwin Leahy. Uh, he is a Benedictine and is currently the, the headmaster of St. Benedict Prep in Newark, New Jersey. So you're 27 years old. You've been, given, <laughs> you've been given the keys to St. Benedict Prep, this place where you went through your education, mm -hmm. brought you into the, the, your professed life, and you've been given uh, encouragement to save the school by taking it elsewhere. Uh, and you choose a different path. So this begins something that took you from uh, reopening with something like 80 students mm -hmm. to now 580 students, mm -hmm. uh, 5,000 graduates, uh, great amount of those going on to college and successful careers. What was the different path that you took? Yeah, the different path was that um, as the school had moved through the 60s, uh, this, this tendency that it was our school, meaning the monks' school, uh, was really in some ways it, it's, its undoing. And I don't believe it's our school. Uh, it was it was never our school. It's it's belongs to everybody who who's participated in it, and we're just stewards of this gift that's been given to us by the by God. Uh, and um, but I had I had this. I didn't know what I was doing. I got the job, but not because I I was obviously the best candidate. I got the job because I was the only reasonable candidate. And uh, that shows you how bad things were if I was the only reasonable candidate. Because uh, so, but what I could do is create energy, and and luckily had with me in the monastery two very very talented guys who had studied curriculum development, and one who was a Boy Scout leader. Mm -hmm. And they created. We could sit, and I could, I could spin a thousand ideas in in an hour conversation, 999 of which could be just be ridiculously stupid, but they could say, well, that one will work. And they could come back to me and say, this is how it will work. Mm -hmm. So God kind of put this unique group of people, different kinds of learners, different kinds of thinkers together that allowed the, the, what the place is to, to emerge from that. And I would just, I would, uh, number one, I would make up stories frequently um, people would ask, well, are you going to teach physics? I said, absolutely, we're going to teach physics. <laughs> and Father Albert, who is a very, very linear thinker and, uh, and, and not a huge risk taker, he would go crazy. He would say, how are we going to do that? And I, and I said, I don't know. You got the degree from Columbia, not me. Figure it out. <laughs> and uh, so I, he claims that the reason he has high blood pressure is because of me, because I never had high blood pressure. I gave it to him because I would give him, make him do all these things. And he would. He could figure them all out. And uh, so the systems that we use really came from Father Mark and Father, uh, Father Albert, and I just created the energy. Mm -hmm. and, and energy you did create, but you, you, 
you approached education in a different way. Now, uh, one of the things that I, I have in, in doing my research is that uh, you stayed there in Newark rather than taking it elsewhere because the Benedictines, when they founded that school, it was founded to be a school for those who were less fortunate, for the, the children of immigrants. Uh, and so in keeping true to that mission, uh, you, you made some sacrifices, but you also took some uh, ingenuitive ways of approaching education, uh, ways that you're not going to get anywhere else. I think that's true. We also, you have to remember, we also are, get a little bit caught. Uh, people wanted to move the school somewhere else, uh, but we take a vow of stability. Mm-hmm. So that, and, and my interpretation of the vow of stability, the way I was taught it when I was a novice by my novice master was that has to do with place. Um, yeah. Lots of people can do intellectual tricks with stability, right? And, but uh, it's, the, it's not stability to place, it's stability to the to community. So if the community were to move somewhere else, that's okay. I don't believe that. Um, our, our, our commitment of our stability is to a particular place to live out our life in that place, among the people of that place. Uh, so once you believe that, well, mm-hmm. then you have to figure out, well, okay, how are we going to be of some service here? Uh, and we learned very early on what Bill Wilson taught people in self-help groups like with AA is to take the cotton out of our ears and stick it in our mouth, to <laughs> shut up and listen. Right? Yeah. And people in town taught us how we could be of service uh, uh, to them. So that's what really helped us go in a, in a different uh, uh, direction. And I was, I was um, the insight of the Jews was that God is a God of history. Mm-hmm. A God of a, the God of a people, and then in our own individual histories, and I, I was flipped kind of casually a book long before when I was very very young in the monastery by one of the older monks. He said, "You ought to read this." It was a book by about Frank Boyden, who was the longtime sixty some year head of, of Deerfield Academy in Massachusetts, and um, he used to have these meetings of the whole school that he would conduct. Uh, all the regular, uh, weekly, I think he did them. So I, there were some ideas that I had from these kind of casual things that happened that had nothing to do with pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think pedagogy is the most important thing we do. I think community building, uh, leadership development, education of the heart mm-hmm. are what we do. Um, that, that's the most important things to us. If you, you can learn English and history and uh, uh, math, a lot, of, a lot of places, you don't need us for that. What monasteries can do is to teach education of the heart. And uh, we can, we, because, what, because of the people among whom we're privileged to live, leadership skills and, and community development. Yeah. Well, just after this break, we're going to continue this conversation that I had last week with Father Edwin Leahy. He's the headmaster of St. Benedict Prep in Newark, New Jersey. And I had the opportunity to speak with him at the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta. We've been talking a little bit about the history of St. Benedict Prep. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how history repeats itself and how you and I can learn from the lessons of St. Benedict Prep to impact our culture today. Well, why don't you join me over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. And tell me what stood out to you about Father Edwin's story, about how he got to where he is, about all of the, uh, the twists and turns along the way. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking with Father Edwin Leahy. He is the headmaster of St. Benedict Prep in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit because what started out your career uh, is now occurring in cities all over the country. We're seeing, again, this marginalization, uh, this uh, kind of uh, putting aside or saying, oh, well, no, it's really not that big of an issue. We don't really need to focus on that and, and some diversionary tactics in our, in our discourse. What do we do now uh, to affect the kind of change in our communities that you've affected in yours? Well, I think you have to uh, use the gospel that, that, um, to accept others the way they are and to come to understand other people's realities. And I think that's a big problem in the country because community is broken down mm-hmm. completely, almost everywhere. I, I, I tell our students, when, if you fly into Newark and you come in landing from the north, you look down and in these communities you see people's backyards are all fenced in. Everybody has their own pool. I mean, the, right. you can't use, we don't do things together. Uh, so we have to rebuild community, I believe, uh, certainly in our cities. Uh, but I believe a long way beyond the cities, it's a problem in the uh, in the entire country, and that's what what monasteries do. Monasteries create community. Why? To be a sign of faith mm-hmm. that people can look at that and say, "How is it the, these people can live together, accept each other as they are, be in communion with one another?" Humanly, it's impossible. It's only possible with the spirit of of the Lord, and others may come to. Uh, to see it. So we have to, you can't have monasteries everywhere, but you can have church, mm-hmm. Christians coming together and accepting each other as they're, that's our biggest problem right? because we've stopped believing the fundamentals of the faith, which is uh, God loves us the way we are. Mm-hmm. Right. The way we find ourselves today. I know how I am. Mm-hmm. Right? I know my weaknesses. I know my sinfulness. And to stop and realize that, wow, God loves me the way I am. That mo- allows me then to love you the way you are. Mm-hmm. And we spend most of our time now picking people apart because of the way they are. Right. Because we don't want to look at the way we are. Now, the complicating factor that has completely disappeared in this country is the, the issue of who am I? What's the meaning of my life? And then what's the meaning of my life in light of the fact that I'm going to die? <laughs> and nobody, everybody in this country wants to deny the fact that they're going to die, right? Even Just go to a wake and what do they say? Wow, he looks great. <laughs> he looks terrific. He looks like he'd get up and walk away. He looks, we, don't want to be, we don't want to believe that the only way out is through death. Right. But the good news is that, that the Lord has conquered death. He's kind of broken this bubble of, of uh, alienation and showed us a way out. And the way out is complete self-offering for the sake of the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that, that in that self-offering for the other, it, it, new life can be found. Resurrected life, glorified life can be found. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen kids who were dead uh, because of anger, because of uh, absent fathers, incarcerated fathers, abusive situations at home, dead, no emotion, no nothing. They couldn't smile. They could barely talk. And little by little, if you, if you, if you love them, mm-hmm. accept them as they are, don't give up on them, you can see them come back to life. I've seen kids rise from the dead. It's amazing. I think part of this is we have this concept of love that is uh, self-affirming, that I love things that I like. Uh, and w- we've lost this idea of 
uh, loving in the difficult situations. We've lost it in marriage. Uh, we're, we're, well, Correct. I'm going to love you until, until you tick me off. Uh, we've lost it in family. We've lost it in society. Uh, so uh, what's that first step in saying, uh, other than suck it up and offer it to God? <laughs> well, I think that the first step is to see the, the, the is to understand the crucifixion, right? Mm-hmm. That in, in suffering, new life is possible. And in this country right now, we, we have an um, enormous, we all have an aversion to suffering, but right. it, we can't even see it in this country as being of any use. Mm-hmm. So the minute I have to suffer, the minute it causes me discomfort, I'm out. Right. Um, well, that's a complete denial of the mystery of the self-offering of Christ in the crucifixion and giving himself even though it seemed like a, like a disaster, right? The, at least some of the evangelists record the last words as being, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right. But the third, day ero- the third day came. They realized he was alive. It also denies, I think, the, the ubiquity of suffering, as if we could somehow escape it. Uh, eventually, <laughs> it's going to catch up to us. Correct. That's correct. I mean, that's the, as, I, the, as we were speaking earlier, Tim, the denial of death, right? Mm-hmm. That... that uh, we're we're professional at it in this country, denying the fact that we're going to die. And that's where the meaning of life comes, realizing who I am, what's the meaning of my life in light of that fact that I'm going to, that I'm going to die. Benedict says in the rule that the monk needs to keep death before his eyes every day because it informs your life. It informs the way you're going to live. It, 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 well, I mean, depending on circumstances sometimes and, and the level of your faith. I mean, I've experienced a couple of bouts of unbelievable depression and fear over that reality. Right? It, I think that's why people frequently react um, when somebody that's close to them dies. They feel, oh, this is terrible. I've lost my... But the real reality is that you, we look at somebody that you love who's died and you say to yourself, holy cow, that's going to happen to me. And that reality can, can, depending on where your faith is at the moment, can paralyze you. It can make, it can make you uh, unsteady. <laughs> well, in addition to the resurrection that we're all going to experience, there's another way that we get life, and that's by giving life, right? As we give life to others, as we, uh, that, that's another sense of extending our own life is, is through the impact that we make. Whoever would save his life must lose, lose it. it. Whoever would lose his life for my sake would save it. Correct. Right. And we have to recapture that to say, you know, I'm going to die. And yes, I'm going to be resurrected someday, but let me leave something else besides just the hope of my resurrection. Let me give hope to someone else. Well, it's also possible, though, if the resurrection is real Mm -hmm. and and is definitive, is the, the resurrection of Christ is definitive, well, you can experience resurrection now. Right. It's not something, simply something that you're waiting for, but you can experience, we should be able to experience risen life, new life, glorified life now that, the, that, that, that what, it, what something looks like isn't the reality, right? It looked like death, but it was really new life. It looked like darkness, but it was really light. Mm-hmm. It looked like defeat, but it was really a victory so right. that we can experience new life now. And it's that new life now that propels us into being of service to, uh, to the other. Yeah, we don't have a lot of time left, but tell me one story that from, from all your 44 years there as headmaster. Tell me one story where you experienced or witnessed that resurrection. Uh, there's, there's several of them with, with students that, um, 
that I can remember, usually it would present around academic performance, right? Most academic performance for kids in cities, uh, poor academic performance has nothing to do with cognition. It has to do with emotion. Mm -hmm. And that emotion that can grip your heart and crumble it and, and encrust it. Um, I have, well, there's a student now who chose to, to stay for a fifth year with us who was so depressed and so flatlined when I would sit and talk with him with his mother, he, he couldn't talk. He, mm -hmm. Words wouldn't come out of his mouth. He would just sit there and look with this mask of death on his face. And uh, um, if you talk to him now, you think I was lying to you about the way mm -hmm. he was. I mean, I saw him come back to, to, uh, to life. And I've seen that story several times with... Uh, with um, young people who, who, who life was restored for them as a result of, uh, number one, the, their own hard work, but also as a result of, of these connections that were created over a period of time that the, the young person allowed to happen. Uh, but, but love will create new life. Love will create new life. Accepting somebody the way, they, accepting them when they can't talk, accepting them when they're, when they're getting three Fs out of four, uh, accepting them in those circumstances creates new life. Now, you're, pick, you're, you're painting a picture for us of, of an, an incredible community that you have here in New York, New Jersey. A lot of people, when they think of the word monk, they think of this solitary life. It must be terribly lonely, and, and, and there's no. It's the opposite of community when they think of it. So, if you were to invite someone who's listening right now, who, you would invite them into that community either as a religious sister or a religious, a religious brother or a priest. Uh, what would you say to them? Oh, you have to be willing to join. First of all, we live in community. We pray together several times a day. We we eat our meals together. We recreate together. We live in silence to, uh, together. Um, and uh, you have to be willing if you, to, it's exciting. It's exciting. Uh, the life of, of pursuing the mystery of God is exciting, is daunting, is awesome, uh, it creates fear. Uh, from, I think we, casual, we, we trivialize the mystery of God. Um, every time we use the word G-O-D, the letters G-O-D, right. we, we kind of trivialize it. But um, what do we do? You have to be willing to come into a community and be willing to fall down and get up fall down and get up, fall down and get up. That's what we do. That's what yeah. monks do. Father, thank you so much for your time. I know you've got other things to get to today. Would you leave us with your blessing? Sure. May, may the Lord, who is all-powerful, sustain you. May the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, the God of Peter, James, and John, and the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, bless and keep you always in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. It was an amazing privilege to be able to interview Father Edwin uh, last week at the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta. I tell you, I've been doing this for nearly two years, and this was hands down one of my favorite interviews. And something that, that stood out to me is he was around priests growing up. I want to make sure that you take that opportunity to put put your kids around people of vocations. Make sure that they get around sisters and, and fathers and, and monks and everyone else because you can't discern a life that you never see. Uh, and the life of vocation is a life, one, it's a full life. You know, it's, it's not a solitary life. It's a full life, and it's a life that gives life to others. Uh, and so make sure, uh, whether you become an oblate, whether you become a third-order Franciscan, uh, whether you become anything at all, make sure that your kids get the chance to be around uh, religious life. We'll be right back after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I am your host, Timothy Putnam. I'm so glad you stuck through the break. Well, I tell you, truly, this was one of my favorite interviews ever. Uh, there, there are some people that you're around and you just experience their holiness. And of course, he would, he would deny it. But I, I'm telling you, sitting there in that room, uh, fully habited, wearing the, the black Benedictine habit, uh, he just absolutely exuded compassion, kindness, confidence. Uh, and and I just, I can't say enough about, uh, about Father Edwin Leahy. You can find out more about what he's doing at St. Benedict Prep uh, just by Googling his name or even Googling St. Benedict Prep in Newark. Uh, there was a 60-minute episode done about the revitalization of that school and, uh, and some of their more interesting methods of education. So I encourage you, go find that. Uh, it's not often that I say, hey, um, go, go read something, go watch something other than this show. Uh, because, you know, this show's all you need, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so we're, we're talking today uh, about a number of things. Um, but one of those is God's faithfulness, right? Now, you may not have known that that's what we're talking about. Uh, but as you listen to this man who dedicated himself to doing the right thing, uh, and then God came through, right? God came through when he dedicated himself uh, not to doing what seemed easy, not to doing what seemed expedient, but to doing the right thing. Uh, and I think we could learn a lot from that in, in our whole life, but also in this election, right? To not be swayed to the left or the right or to be frightened by the turbulent times around us, but to trust in the mercy of God uh, that we will be sustained if only we do the right and moral thing. Uh, so I encourage you, to spend some time in prayer as we are ever, ever getting closer to this election uh, and ask the Holy Spirit, okay, beyond what seems expedient, beyond what seems strategic, what's the right thing? What's the right thing? And do that. Because if you are obedient to the Holy Spirit in that, you, you can't go wrong. You can't. If you're listening to the Holy Spirit, if you're trusting in God as king and not putting your trust in princes, right? It's better to trust in the Lord than to trust in princes. Uh, some may trust in horses and chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. If you will do that and trust that where the Holy Spirit guides you will be the safest place to be, then I guarantee you, you can't go wrong. Even if everything else around you falters and falls apart, you can't go wrong. And that kind of, uh, I, I wasn't really planning on coming back to politics uh, after that wonderful, amazing uh, interview with Father Edwin. But uh, today's readings from church history uh, take us there. And so I want you to hear this. This is the reading from today. It's the gospel reading from today. And today, of course, is the, the memorial of St. Teresa of Avila. And uh, she's a doctor of the church. And we're going to read from, uh, from her writings here in a moment. But listen to this, because this is right here in the midst of our election, something that, that the Holy Spirit spoke through Jesus Christ, to Christ's disciples, uh, and now speaks to us. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. 
when they take you before synagogues and before rulers and authorities, do not worry about how or what your defense will be or about what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that moment what you should say. And that reading comes from Luke 12, 8. Now, here's the thing. Uh, This is right after Jesus said to his disciples, hey, you're going to be in trouble. People aren't going to like you, and they're going to drag you in front of of magistrates and leaders uh, to, to basically punish you for following me, and you shouldn't plan out what you're going to say. We've got this story of the, the first martyr, the first uh, uh, deacon, Stephen, who was stoned to death, uh, and he was given what to say to those people at that time because the Holy Spirit knows the hearts of the people that are around you, right? And so uh, always be ready, but always be trusting in God. And really, we shouldn't be expecting that everything's just going to be pumpkins and roses, Uh, I said pumpkins because everything is pumpkin right now because it's October, right? Everything, pumpkin spice, everything. So, uh, yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit will give us the strength to face whatever difficulty uh, the, the government, whoever it shall be, would try to impose on us. So we just continue to be faithful. I love that statement of Mother Teresa. We Our job is not to be successful. Our job is to be faithful. We're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. So uh, as we read from church history today, we're going to be reading from, a, from the work of St. Teresa of Avila. And I just love this because it reminds us in this tenuous political season where our focus should be. She says this, if Christ Jesus dwells in a man as his friend and noble leader, that man can endure all things. For Christ helps and strengthens us and never abandons us. He is a true friend. And I clearly see that if we expect to please him and receive an abundance of his graces, God desires that these graces must come to us from the hands of Christ through his most sacred humanity in which God takes delight. Many, many times I have perceived this through experience. The Lord has told it to me. I have definitively seen that we must enter by this gate if we wish His Sovereign Majesty to reveal to us great and hidden mysteries. A person should desire no other path. Even if he is at the summit of contemplation, on this road he walks safely. All blessings come to us through our Lord. He will teach us, for in beholding His life, we find that He is the best example. What more do we desire from such a good friend at our side? Unlike our friends in the world, he will never abandon us when we are troubled or distressed. Blessed is the one who truly loves him and always keeps him near. Let us consider the glorious St. Paul. It seems that no other name fell from his lips than that of Jesus, because the name of Jesus was fixed and embedded in his heart. Once I had come to understand this truth, I carefully considered the lives of some of the saints, the great contemplatives and found that they took no other path. Francis, Anthony of Padua, Bernard, Catherine of Siena. A person must walk along this path in freedom, placing himself in God's hands. If God should desire to raise us to the position of one who is an intimate and share his secrets, we ought to accept this gladly. Whenever we think of Christ, we should recall the love that led him to bestow on us so many graces and favors 
and also the great love God showed in giving us in Christ a pledge of his love. For love calls for love in return. Let us strive to keep this always before our eyes and arouse ourselves to love him. For if at some time the Lord should grant us the grace of impressing his love in our hearts, all will become easy for us, and we shall accomplish great things quickly and without effort. That writing comes from a work by St. Teresa of Avila. And this is what I want to say to you. So often we can get so caught up in the in the the craziness of politics, in the craziness of uh, the circumstances of our world, that we lose sight of the love of God. We lose sight of the love of God when we when we get into certain kinds of terse arguments with people uh, of goodwill with whom we disagree. Right? We we lose sight of the love of God when we allow anxiety of potential outcomes in the future, of fear to overwhelm us to the point that we no longer have peace. If you're in the middle of this election season and you have no peace, then I want to encourage you, go find an adoration chapel. Find a place where you can be in the presence of Jesus. Maybe you just go to the church uh, and spend 15, 30 minutes in silence with no one else around. Uh, Even if you haven't been, even if you've not been to Mass in three years, right? Let's just say that. Maybe four years. Maybe it's been 20 years. I want to tell you, go and sit in silence because there is nothing uh, that's worth losing your peace. And if you're in the midst of this kind of anxiety, uh, Christ wants to come to you as a friend. He wants to come as a friend and noble leader, embedding himself in your heart. This is the place to do it. Go and be in the presence of Christ and uh, find your peace. Now, that's really all the time we have. Before I go, I want to talk to you about becoming a friend of the show. Uh, I, I do this uh, day in, day out. We, we have this show once a week, but I do a whole lot else getting ready for the show and helping other shows here at Breadbox Media come on the air. Uh, and right now we're doing this uh, out of the great love of our hearts. Uh, and so I ask you, if this is a show that you enjoy, Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com and click Become a Friend of the Show. Uh, $10 a month, and I will give you things. I'll give you special content, special interviews, and you'll be enrolled for our drawings once a month uh, of excellent books from from all kinds of different Catholic publishers and sometimes things that aren't books but look like books. Uh, So I want to encourage you. Go over there. At least $10. You can give more if you want. Help support the work that I do here with Outside the Walls and with Breadbox Media, and I greatly appreciate it. Now, One more thing. If you're looking for peace, I want to tell you something new that I'm doing that I find peace in, and that is oramus.net, O-R-A-M-U-S.net. And it's Gregorian chant, polyphony, and prayer all day long, every day. And aren't you glad you stuck around to the end of the show? Why don't you go over there right now, oramus.net, and listen to what I call liquid peace right? It's right there at your fingertips. That's all the time we have for this week. Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.